Well, the only people in this room that can say that does not apply to them are the guys, okay? So everyone else, that's for you. On May 16th, what a wonderful day that it's going to be here at First Baptist North, and we want to welcome you to that. So please put that in your calendars and come be a part of the Breathe uh, Women's Conference on May 16th. Great, great day. You get to go to all those places on that video. If you come, I'm just kidding, sort of in spirit. But a wonderful day in store for you. So bring your daughters, your nieces, your cousins, your aunts, your grandmas, um, all your neighbors and friends, and you will be encouraged and you'll be blessed. So thank you. And thank you, Brandon, for leading us in worship. And um, we're grateful for that. Please turn in your Bibles, if you have one this morning, to Luke chapter 18. And uh, I hope you have a Bible or one that is near you. If not, um, please scoot close to someone who does because we're going to be making our way through several passages in the scriptures. So um, if you're not as familiar with some of these passages, it might be nice to follow along with someone or have someone just kind of help you move through the passages this morning. Um, But we're going to start, our anchor passage this morning is going to be in Luke chapter 18. And this is a story. So I love it when we can start with a story. Jesus told great stories. And this is one of them. And it's a story about prayer. Starting at the beginning of Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I received an email this last week or so, and I love hearing from you, by the way. I love getting notes from you or uh, messages or emails from folks. It's always, uh, well, it's most always a source of encouragement, and this one certainly was. This, This email was a question about prayer, and it was so tender and real The question was, why don't we see more answer to prayer? It's a great question. I love the question for a couple of reasons. First of all, it showed that God's people are thinking about spiritual things. That's good, isn't it? Having the mind of God and wanting to maybe somehow experience a deeper and more effective relationship with God. So I loved that question. I loved hearing from this person for that reason. Second, it showed and reminded me that we're all human. And we need, we are desperately in need of something more. Something so vastly beyond ourselves. I was encouraged by the question, why don't we see more answers to prayer? 
Now the Lord had laid on my heart some time ago a desire to maybe do a short series on prayer with all of us together. So this tender query from someone in our congregation was, was to me, I felt, the Lord's confirming voice. But I felt so inadequate to provide an answer. I'm not an authority on prayer, neither an experienced uh, experience or knowledge. I, and I certainly don't hold uh, any sort of corner on effective praying. But what a wonderful gift we have in the Word of God, which is our authority and our guide. And more specifically, the Lord Jesus himself, our Savior and our God, this master prayer and teacher who taught so much on this important and compelling need. The need, the why, the how, and the wonder of prayer. So I deferred to him. In my response to this wonderful question, I went to Jesus because he has the answers. Now, there's, there's another question that was in my mind that I, I want to pose this morning before we go to this passage. Why would Jesus have to pray? Why did Jesus pray? Ever wonder of that? Fully God. Sovereign creator of the universe. I mean, why in the world would Jesus feel compelled to pray? Well, maybe a couple of reasons that I just want to offer up to you as, as a backdrop to our time this morning. First of all, Jesus prayed because he's human, just like you and me. This is a human response to need. The wonder of God becoming flesh and the power of our salvation so affected in the fact that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is both fully God and wholly human. He was the only answer to our deepest need because he was not only God, but he was completely, fully, and wholly human, just like us. The scripture says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He faced hunger. He faced thirst and weariness and emotion, pressure, temptations and enemies and the limitations of the human experienced. He prayed because he's human. And by the way, prayer is a uniquely human gift and experience. Did you know that? Angels don't pray. There's no... Um, telling in scripture that angels have any need or desire to pray. They don't pray. Creation, entities of creation do not pray. Animals don't pray, except maybe in, in Disney movies. This is a human experience. This is a gift from God to us, the highest order of creation. It's human to pray, and it's a supernatural reality that is given to us by God. But second, Though fully God, he lived and served in submission to his Father in heaven. You see, prayer is the ultimate expression of humility and submission to God. If I pray, I acknowledge that I am not God and that I serve and live my life under his faithful provision and sovereign care and rule. Not to pray at any juncture or for any reason, is to actually enthrone myself above God. Jesus never did that. Nor would he, nor could he. 
Now, the witness of the New Testament is pretty compelling here, particularly the gospel. So hold your finger or something there in Luke 18. I want to take you to a couple of passages. The first is John chapter 5. So just a few um, pages over from Luke, you will find the gospel of John. And then we're going to go to the fifth chapter of John's gospel. John chapter 5. John uh, a chronicler of Jesus' ministry and some of his remarkable um, deeds that he did. Miracles, as it were. Starting at verse 16 of John chapter 5, John tells us about an encounter that Jesus had had with the Pharisees. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work, Um, To this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There it is, Jesus in equality with God, but yet in this relationship as father is to son. Jesus gave them this answer. Listen, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by Himself. Did you hear that? Jesus responds, though they acknowledge that He was setting Himself up as equal with the Father, replies to their concern by saying, The Son can do nothing by Himself. (laughs) Is that the attitude of your life? Is there anything out there related to spiritual things or mission or something you feel God has got you kind of pegged to do that you are attempting to do by yourself? Because if it is, you're probably not praying. Because to acknowledge that you cannot do anything by yourself comes along with the corresponding conviction that I must pray. I am in relationship with a sovereign, all-powerful, faithful, providing God who is committed to demonstrating His power and faithfulness to me in response to my humble submission to Him. And that's prayer. Jesus said the Son can't do anything by Himself. What are you doing by yourself, believer? What are you trying to do? He can do only what he sees his father doing, Jesus said, because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. How about that? Jesus lived his life in full, humble submission to the father, fully acknowledging that it was his will, his provision, His power, His words, everything came from the Father. And the result was Jesus prayed. How many times in the press of ministry, the priority of ministry, do we see Jesus slipping away to a quiet place to talk to His Father? He was not too busy to pray. This this was our Lord. This was Jesus. He prayed because He lived a life of submission to the Lord. Paul wrote to Timothy that it is God's will that men everywhere ought to lift up holy hands and pray. 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 
It's a wholesale submission to the Father in prayer was a visible and necessary outflow of that truth. <laughs> wow, that's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Jesus, he just, he understood that it was, it was all about the power and wonder of God's provision. And so he prayed. Third, Jesus prayed, prayed because he lived a thankful and grateful life. How many times do we see Jesus offering up a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord? I got a couple of examples. Again, keep your place in Luke 18. We're going to go back there and turn to Luke 9. Luke 9. Just a few pages over. I want you to see this. Some of these just kind of slip by without even notice. But when you're looking closely, <clears throat> you see this. This is the miracle of the feeding of all of these people that Jesus demonstrated his power um, of course there was a crowd of people the disciples were concerned because they they only had a a little bit of food one little guy's lunch that he brought verse 13 Jesus said you you feed them <laughs> they wanted to go down to the grocery store and and load up right and Jesus said well you feed them Jesus was fully convinced that they had the same power at their disposal that he did. By the way, he's convinced of that in your life too. I wonder how many times he said, well, you do that. You've got the same access to the Father that I have. What's all the fretting about? Why are you wringing your hands over this? You do that. You feed them. I love that. Well, don't we got to sell something? If we sell something, we'll have money and we can feed them. No, you feed them. You do this. Watch what happens. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. They're doing the math. That's also human, by the way. We just do the math. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Now watch this. Jesus looks up into heaven, and he gave thanks, and he broke the food. <laughs> he prayed. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. I mean, we, don't, we don't pray before a meal because we don't want to get tummy rot. We pray because we, live a, we have a thankful heart. This was Jesus. He, he was thankful to God. He blessed what they had. And this magnificent provision of his spirit spilled out into all these families. Can you imagine the witness of those people as they went back to their towns and their communities to tell that story of what, what took place as a result of that? Imagine. Remarkable. Jesus also prayed because he knew the power of the enemy. He knew what was at stake. Uh, Luke 21. Keep going. To the right, Luke 21. Again, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, you can maybe look on with someone, or if you see someone kind of having a hard time finding these passages, please help them along. Luke chapter 21. Jesus is talking about end times, things that we'll begin to witness and feel swirling around us. 
the closer it comes to his, his return. By the way, we saw a great movie. There's a, there's a little company called Pure Flix. I like the name of that. Pure Flix. They make good movies. Now, they're not going to win any Academy Awards, but they're good, wholesome, entertaining movies. Okay? So just try them out. I think they're on Netflix. And, uh, you know, good, safe. You, you, nobody's going to gasp or, you know, you're not going to have to hide your kid's eyes or anything. But it's a good message. And so we were watching this movie, and it was about the rapture. Anybody know what the rapture is? A few of you? <laughs> good. So this, this, this really, the, the scriptures teach that really nothing else has to happen now based on what has been prophesied in scripture before the Lord is going to come. The scripture says that without warning, Jesus is going to come back for the church, for believers. And anyone who is covered in, in his blood that is, that is still on earth is going to rise to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then anyone left on the planet that is a follower of Jesus Christ, Christians, just like you and me, are going to meet Jesus in the air. It's called the rapture. Good for Christians. Really bad, the scriptures teach, for people who have not yet called upon him in faith because they're going to be left on the planet. And can you imagine the chaos on the planet, right? When all of a sudden... Hosts of people, millions of people, literally just vanish from their sight. Some of you are looking at me like I've just lost my, like I'm off my rocker. This is in the scriptures, you know. It's going to happen. It's a promise in the word of God. And just imagine CNN and Wolf Blitzer or whoever. Of course, I guess I'm assuming that he'll still be here, but maybe he won't be, praise God. But whoever's left... You know, don't, don't email me about that, okay? <laughs> like, what is going on? Wow. It's chaos on, on the planet because of this mass disappearing of believers. This is, what, this is the context of this story that Jesus is telling. There are going to be signs around us, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and tremors and, you know, all this bad news, everything that's going to be chronicled and people are going to be down on this planet just like in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, just kind of doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, he's going to come. He's going to show up. He's not going to come down to the planet. He's not gonna, his, his feet aren't going to land on the planet. That's later, by the way. He, he's going to stay in the air. That's the trumpet's going to sound. And all of a sudden, we're going to meet him in the air. Magnificent. And, and you've got to be ready. That's the idea. Man, this is a whole other sermon I'm getting off on here. But signs, and, signs in the sun. Verse 25, Luke 21. Moon and stars, the earth, nations in anguish. Perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. They're going to see this. <clears throat> it's going to be broadcast live on cable network news They're, because it's going to be visible. When these things begin to take place, 
Stand up and lift up your heads because your, rete- your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree. Look at the, uh, look at the fig and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now listen to this. Verse 34. Be careful. This is for us. Or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, worry, drunkenness, the anxieties of life, and that day will close in on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Jesus understood what was at stake. He said, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Wow. He understood the power of the enemy. He understood what was at stake. This is real. Don't you want to be praying? (laughs) When that happens, you know? Or maybe you'll be, you know, on Xbox or something. Jesus was a realist. He understood the times. In the garden, when he prayed right before his suffering in the cross, he told his disciples, he said, wait here and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. So you don't break. Pray. I've talked to people that are just so weary of the struggle of temptation. They're, 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 they're just beaten down. They've been so beset by a, a sinful pattern. They can't shake it. And you just want to ask them, like, tell me about your prayer life. Are you talking to the Lord about this? Is anyone with you praying about this? So that when it comes, you you have a a shield about you. You have a a stamina and a resolve to stand firm against the the temptations of of the enemy of your soul. Jesus said, pray so that that you're not tempted. You you don't fall into that trap. New Testament says that we, we have a high priest who was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. How come without sin? Because he prayed. He understood. He needed that power and that protection. He was not alone. He had a relationship with a powerful, gracious, heavenly father that shielded him. Most compellingly, I believe Jesus prayed because he was on mission and he didn't want to faint. He didn't want to quit. Look look back to Luke 18. Now back to where you were holding that place. That's the context of this story, this great story. Luke says that Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they ought to always pray so they won't faint. (laughs) Isn't that great? That's why he tells this story. Because he wanted to convince them that they ought to be praying always 
Because the alternative is you're not going to go the distance. You're going to faint. You'll flame out. You'll quit. It's too hard. You don't have enough stuff in and of yourself. You don't have enough resolve. You can't fix this. You might be able to put a band-aid on it. You might be able to get a little bit of relief, but you're not going to be able to transform it. You're going to faint. So he told this story so that they would know they need to keep praying. They need to always pray, always understand they are in submission to the Father, always understand that the enemy is formidable and powerful and wants to take them out, that they cannot trust in their own resources. And always understand that there's so much more at stake for the gospel than my little world, my little family gathering. So we must pray so that we don't faint. He was on mission. Listen, believer, church, we're either going to pray or we're going to quit because it's too hard. We're either going to trust in the power and provision of God or we're going to faint. We're going to run out of stuff. That's why Jesus told this story. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this parable. We're going to zoom in. But I want you to see this context. Look right before 18 begins, 17, chapter 17 closes. Same thing, Jesus reminds them of a time past, of what happened with people living on the planet presumptuously. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Now watch this. Man, if this doesn't sound like our world, sometimes this sounds like the church. People were eating and drinking and getting married. <laughs> it just sounds, that sounds good, doesn't it? We're eating, we're drinking, we're having weddings, we're having anniversaries, we're going shopping, we're going to travel, we're going on mission trips, we're going to buy this, we're going we're gonna to build this, we're going to mow our grass, we're going to take care of our kids, we're going to build this, we're going to have a party, it's going to be a surprise. People were eating and drinking and getting married. That's what was happening in the days of Noah. Also in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling. They were planting. They were taking their yards. And they were building. And they were doing this. They were buying cars. And, and they were taking great trips. And then that day, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. He's going he's gonna to show up again. And what are we going to be doing? Well, Jesus told them this story so that on that day when Jesus comes again, he doesn't see the church eating and drinking and just getting married, having anniversaries and parties and working on their lawns and taking vacations and going on mission trips and just... There's a watchfulness here that says we ought to pray and live our lives in the supernatural dimension. Always. 
relying fully and wholly on God and not on ourselves. Trusting Him. Realizing that there's so much more at stake in my living, in my expression of my faith and my Christianity than my own little world and my own little tribe because the, 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 the advance and the kingdom of God, the gospel, is what's at stake. Lives are at stake. And perhaps even the eternal destiny of those you lead and who are sheltered by your faith. Jesus told them this parable, Luke says, to show his disciples, to show us that we ought always to pray and not faint. Now back to the email. Remember the question? Why why don't we see more answers to prayer? I wonder if it's because in part because people have begun to faint. We're fainting instead of praying. We're worn out of our own weakness. We are so wiped out from our own frenzied attempts to accomplish the things that God has called us to do and promised to provide for that we're fainting. The Bible says that in the last days, this is what will mark believers in the church. They will have a form of godliness, but there will be no power. No experience of the supernatural provision of God that is only explainable by the fact that He moved, He intervened, He transformed, He delivered, He provided. I'm running out of time. I can't do it in eight minutes. Two stories. Jesus told a story. So I thought, good homiletics. I'll tell a story. It won't be anything like his. Back when I was something, 29 or something, I was working in New York for a publishing company, and I was eating and drinking, not, just not that kind of drinking, just eating and drinking, and going to weddings, just having a great time. I was single, loving that city. Anybody lived in New York City? It's a great city, great part of the world. I was young, I was single. My brother was at West Point, had friends. I mean, it was a great time. But I knew the Lord had a call in my life, and so he, after about six years of that, he just really pressed me back into a, a decision that I needed to go back and finish my training because he had called me to be a pastor. I would kind of set that aside for a lot of reasons. Just kind of did a Jonah on him and took off the other direction. But the Lord used that to kind of speak into my life. And he said, I want you to go to seminary. I said, okay, I'll do it. So finally, I just kind of the peak of my just time out there, I went in. I said, listen, I... This has been great. I've, I've learned so much. I've appreciated the opportunity, but I'm going in back into the ministry. I'm, I'm going down to Dallas. I'm going to go to seminary. That's where God wants me to be. They were amazingly gracious, those people. They, they didn't even know the Lord at the time. They were just, that sounds great. You know, we're going to miss you, but go, go do it. So I had this goofy little apartment in New York and didn't have much in it, but I sold everything I had. 
everything except my car. And I, I think I had 350 bucks. Sold everything, and that's what I had was 350 bucks. If I was going down to Dallas Seminary, been accepted, provisional acceptance, you know, whatever that means. And um, like, we'll let you in, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> so I went down to Dallas, and, boy, it's a big ticket, you know, grad school. I didn't really have an idea how that was all going to go, but I just really convinced that God wanted me to do that. And so got down to Dallas Seminary, and they said, listen, if you students out there, you don't really have a way you're going to kind of cover these expenses. We've got a bank over here chairman of the board of this bank is on the board of Dallas Seminary. He wants to partner with students. And so you can sign up and they'll, they'll loan you the money each semester. All you do is sign. You make payments and you're paid up to the bank after the end of every year. So that way you, you graduate and you don't have all this debt. But this guy will float you some money and they're like, wow, that sounded good. So a bunch of us thought that sounded good. So we kind of signed up for that. And um, I think the payment each month was going to be like 550 bucks, something like that, to pay this so we'd be paid up at the end of the year. So I went down to this grocery store, Tom Thumb, and I applied to work in their food department or their meat department, and they gave me a job. You know, seven bucks, six bucks an hour, I don't even remember. Me and Scott Stancil from Spartanburg, Pennsylvania. We put on a green apron and a stupid little hat, and we went to work at Tom Thumb in our afternoons, and we were just slicing salami and ham and turkey, and I mean, it was cheese and, you know, just the whole deal. You know, the deli, you go to the deli and you say, give me a pound of that. And I, so just, I worked. So I went to school, and then I went to Tom Thumb, and I sliced cheese. I'm thinking, okay, I can, if I do this enough hours, I can still get my work done, and maybe by the end of this time, I'll have my first payment to this very nice man at the bank who's going to help me out. In the meantime, I thought to myself, wait a minute, I really haven't even asked the Lord how he wants me to do this. Yeah, I'm going to go to seminary. <laughs> Didn't even occur to me. Maybe I should pray about this. So I just, I just got on my knees one night in my apartment. It was my brother's apartment, actually. I was hanging out with my brother. I just said, Lord, I just, I don't know. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to work Tom Thumb. I've got this thing. I just, I just need 550 bucks, you know, by the end of September. I really, I just want to trust you to take care of that. And I know you said in your word that you'll do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything I could ask or imagine. Right now, I'm imagining $550. So I just left it with the Lord. And went back to Tom Thumb. Started slicing. Hang on, jeez. A couple weeks later, some friends down there that kind of knew us and knew, knew the family and they knew I was in Dallas and came by and this gal came to the deli and said, hey, Mark, welcome to Dallas. We're glad you're here. How's it going at the Dallas Seminary? Oh, good, good. Hey, we want you to come over and have some, have a meal. I'm like, oh, I'm out a meal. Now that sounds good. So, yeah, okay, I'll be there. So I went over and I think it was a Sunday night, went over to these people's house. We sat down at the table and vegetable soup and some homemade bread and a salad. I mean, it was good. Everything tastes better when you're in seminary and you're, you know, cutting meat and just in it. So this guy said, hey, Mark, appreciate you coming down here. You know, you got a heart for ministry. We love, we love the gospel. We just have a heart for it too. What's your plan? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a plan. I'm just going to seminary and when I get out, you know, 
engaged, when you get married, we're going to go to the mission field. It's just, well, no, no, I know that, but what's your plan for how are you going to cover this? That's a pretty big ticket. Oh, well, I got a job at Tom Thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that too. Good. So we talked a little bit about that. And, and he said, he said, wife and I have been thinking about you. We've been praying. And we'd, we'd like to help. And um, he said, what's the, what's the, what's the cost for, per semester? I said, oh, I got this thing going at the bank. And you, $550 a month and you pay it up. He said, oh, okay. He said, um, what's, the, what's the balance on that semester? I told him. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, um, you meet me at the bank, that bank on Monday morning. I'll meet you there. And he said, I'll, I'll take care of this, this semester for you. That help? I mean, I asked for 550 bucks, the Lord. And this guy said, I'll take care of that for you. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, wow, thanks. So that morning, I went down there, Monday morning, we met at the bank, and I stood there in the teller, and she pulled out the little thing and had my name on it, showed the number, you know. And Jim wrote, got a checkbook and he wrote this check and handed it to her and that's it he said you got time for breakfast i'm like yeah sure so we went down to the cafe we got a bear claw and some coffee and a couple eggs we're just sitting there talking he said mark we've been we've been thinking how, how long are you going to be here i said i don't know it's 122 hours at least four years it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a long program 122 hours he said, um, we want to get this. I said, what? We want to get this. What do you mean this? We want to we take care of your seminary. Everything? He said, yeah, everything. We got it. He said, when do you get your bill? I told him, it's just... Make sure it gets over to my office. I'll take care of it. He said, now you're going to need books, right? I said, well, yeah. He said, we got the books too. We got your books. We got it. That's story number one. Story number two, Saturday night, that was Saturday morning, 2.30 a.m., I'm in a, whatever the third level of sleep is, I was there. All of a sudden, I hear a rustling, it's Jonathan, he's making his way through the master bed to the bathroom, he's sick, you know, I won't go any further, he's just sick. Tracy's up, she's on it, I'm, t I'm still coming too. And he's sick, and she says, I got to find a thermometer. He's burning up. He's just sick. Wow, okay. So we're looking around the house, you know, 2.30 in the morning for a thermometer. The first one didn't work, you know. Second one didn't have your back, whatever. And so she, she couldn't find it. So she said, I'm going to Walmart. She said, can you watch him? I said, yeah, I can watch him. What do I do? Just watch him. Okay, so she goes to Walmart, and she picks up this gizmo. She's back in a flash, and it's one of these. It's the, the, the thermometer. I've never seen a thermometer like this, but it was pretty cool. And so she got that thing ready, and she did this on, her, on his head. And she looked at it, it beeped 106. 
And she, oh, that can't be right. And she, she did it again. You know, Jonathan's just laying there, you know. 106. I said, she said, that can't be right. This thing can't be working. And I said, well, don't you have a thermometer in your nursing bag that you use? Every She's like, yeah, I got it. So she went to her nursing bag. She pulled out a thermometer. that looks a whole lot more like a thermometer that my mother used to st stick in me, you know. And so she pulled that thing out. And she said, Jonathan, you need to stick this under your tongue. Take your temperature. So he did that. A few minutes passed. She pulled it out. 104.5. She said, this thing is always two degrees down. She said, we got to go to the emergency room. He's burning up. That's all John needed to hear was emergency room. He all of a sudden became very lucid. He was like, emergency room. So we're flying around. I'm getting dressed. I'm getting my coat on. And, and Tracy's getting her purse. And John's just kind of in the swirl of all this. I went and I woke Jake up. And I said, hey, man, we're going to the emergency room. Jake's like, oh, oh, oh. And, I, and so we're just, it's just chaos in this room. And we're about to head out the door. I grab my keys. And Jonathan just sat down in the chair. And he said, can we pray? knelt down beside him. I just put my arms around that little guy and we called on the Lord and I said, oh Lord, just touch him, heal him, bring this fever down, protect Jonathan. His mom was worried. John was, so we packed him up, we got in the truck, we were on our way to regional hospital, to emergency room, pulled into the parking lot. Tracy had that gizmo. I'm out, of, I get out of the truck. She's still in there with Jonathan and she does it again. Looks at it. She motioned me to open the door, and I opened the door, and she said, it's 101. I said, 101? I said, well, do it again. She did it again, and sure enough, it was down to 101. She said, well, we're not going in. We're just going to go home. We're going to watch him, give him some fluid. We'll call the doctor in the morning. I said, okay, good. Can we pray? I mean, do we really believe God is able? Jesus told a story. We're going to go through a story that Jesus told. And Luke says the reason he told it is because he wanted his disciples to know that they ought to pray so they wouldn't faint. Faint of their own doing. Faint of their own Activity, faint of their own resourcefulness, that only leads to fainting. The other guarantees the power and provision of God. So that on the other side, there's only one explainable reasons why what happened, because God moved. He moved. So thankful that we can pray and not faint, that we can call on the Lord, that we can trust His hand, give Him a chance, 
to, to, to show off and show himself powerful, to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think so that we don't get the applause, we don't get the kudos. Oh, good job. You worked so hard. Way to go. God blessed that, didn't he? No, we give him the glory. We give him the praise because he did it. He moved. He supplied. He provided all of our needs according to the riches of grace that are in Christ Jesus. Luke 18 is a resounding question. Can we pray? The answer is yes. Not only can we, we must. We must. Believe God. Trust Him. Whatever has you in a knot, whatever has you under the pile, whatever you're looking at that looks like Mount Everest, that's, that's God's stuff. Or even if it's a little guy with a fever. Can we pray? Let's give God a chance. What do you have out there? Next week, next month, this summer, next fall, next year. What is it? Don't move another inch. Don't, don't move another muscle until you've brought that to God and just asked, Lord, I want to wait and see what you could do. I want to give you a chance to do this. So let's pray. Bow your heads. Can we just repent of this self-sufficiency? These schemes of self-reliance. Throw ourselves at the mercy and power of God. Trust his word. Trust his word. Claim his name, his power, on behalf of whatever it is that has you, has your family, has your kid. Pray. Don't faint. Pray. He is able. God be praised. Stand and sing together.